0: Go Steelers! Go Steelers!
2: Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Nick coming to you from the Houston Outpost with the final podcast of the season. And obviously things are going to get interesting during the offseason. We have 10 billion things to talk about after the Steelers lost by 10 billion to the Kansas City Chiefs in embarrassing fashion. But also in a fashion that should not have been unexpected to anybody who's watched the Steelers this entire year. Uh, But the regular season's over. Big Ben's tenure, most likely about to be over. We've talked about that enough the past few weeks, and uh, we'll be talking about it a little bit more during the offseason when I give the Hall of Fame speech. You guys can help me punch it up if I'm missing something uh, here or there, if I'm going over the top in some areas. Really not interested in those notes, but regardless, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the team and a little bit more of the broad picture. First things first is that, the Steelers were playing with house money ever since they beat the Browns. It felt like the season really ended with the Browns. That's when the emotion came out, the the Ben Roethlisberger farewell celebration, and then for it to really continue another week when you play against the Ravens symbolically, you know, the most important team for the modern Steelers, and definitely uh, the most important opponent for the modern Steelers, and definitely the most important opponent for Big Ben. It, it sort of continued that week of celebration on top of the fact that a small miracle occurred in which all the dominoes fell the right way to get the Steelers into the playoffs. One of those dominoes being another fourth quarter game winning comeback drive to beat the Ravens. So all of that stuff was awesome. I'm going to get into the Chiefs game in a second here, but th- this is what I'm leading up to. The, the win over the Browns. Phenomenal! Something I'll definitely remember. The win over the the Ravens, I think it gets packaged with that win over the Browns, and what we said that did for Tomlin's legacy and uh, Big Ben's legacy combined. Those were big deals, but those weren't. Those teams suck. You played the Ravens backups, and the Browns are just a a, uh, the Browns. The Browns, you know, they they have a piece of poop for logo. All right, so they are who they are. The Browns is the Browns. They'll always be the Browns. Those weren't massive game-changing wins. The Steelers team didn't even look any better in those games than they did in the prior games. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I love to see the Steelers fans' enthusiasm, and I had enthusiasm about it as well, but that enthusiasm wasn't really leading me to a, oh, they're going to beat the Chiefs level of, uh, of happiness. It was more like this is just memorable. This is cool. On seasons when you're not going to win the Super Bowl – I have found out football can still be super memorable. We will always think of that Duck Mason Rudolph year, the little engine that could. I always think of the the second eight and eight year. I've referenced a few times in the past few weeks. Uh, Todd Haley's second, right, it was 2014, I guess, right before the Killer Bees got unleashed and the Steelers became an elite team again, just because they fought back from 0 and 4 that year, and, and there was a lot of meaning in that. Um, so, that's what I liked about the prior few games. But it didn't sway my opinion of what the Steelers were. We've been saying it since halfway through the season. They're the same team. It's one of the worst offenses I've ever seen in NFL fo- really football at any level. Uh, honestly. I mean, look at them. How many th- I think I counted eight drives before I stopped keeping track of first down, run up the gut, second down, run up the gut, three and out. Punt the ball—the most useless offense you've ever seen. No good parts, despite there being some promising players. So, the the loss of the Chiefs didn't affect me uh, that badly. I would say it started to get bad when the when the fat guys were scoring touchdowns. You know, uh, that is a little embarrassing. Some people pointing out that they were rubbing it in the Steelers' face, even if those comments were tongue in cheek, um, which just. You know, it be funny and enjoy the game of football. Like, Yeah, the tight ends throwing touchdown passes, the fat guys are scoring. This is terrible. But actually, it's a more interesting point to look at because the Chiefs do that all the time. Like Travis Kelsey constantly plays wild, wildcat quarterback on the goal line. Uh, they throw to fat guys all the time, and it's just an example of how freaking creative that team is. That little underhand shovel pass that Pat Mahomes threw for the touchdown, they do that all the time. If you remember in the Killer Bees years, the Steelers used to do a shovel pass. Not an underhand, but they used to do a lot of those. Juju, Vance McDonald, uh, a lot of people would catch those. But eventually teams caught on. Well, the Chiefs have 400 different ways to run the same little underhand shovel pass. And that's the kind of thing we're missing in Pittsburgh. And Andy Reid, you know, I don't know if I'd call him an all-time offensive mind, but you might as well. I mean, I, I do think that there's guys like Sean Payton, who may be on a different stratosphere even but yeah Andy Reid he's an all-time offensive mind so that's a high bar to set but just that example of creativity is what is so missing from the Steelers and I don't know if just changing the offensive coordinator is going to do that or not Um, but that being said all that is to say just because the Steelers won a couple games in a row and made a great playoff run as a a bad team, deservingly the seventh seed, the worst team in the playoffs, as Ben was joking about. Yeah, and and the Eagles, the seventh teams, (laughs) they're tremendously worse than anybody else in the playoffs. That's why when they expanded the things, I, I always thought, this is dumb as hell. You remember when the Mason Rudolph and Duck team got left out of the playoffs? They were the first team out. And I remember saying... Does anybody want this team in the playoffs? I mean, there's a 0% chance they can win the Super Bowl. There aren't 14 Super Bowl-winning teams per year, but who knows? One year, somebody, a seven seed will win it. But I think that that'll generally just be because like their quarterback was hurt earlier in the year and they lost some some extra games or something along those lines. But despite the season ending this way, there's a lot of positive things I think we can – I think we can address now that the sample size of players like John LaGlue, Adams on the line, um, Akilah Witherspoon, the, the sample size is larger for some of those guys and definitely obviously lot larger for Friar and Najee and, and, uh, also, the sample size is larger, unfortunately, for guys like Deontay and Claypool, which leads you to say, that there's, how could you possibly go into another season relying on these players? But that's helpful, because at least you know where you stand with them. So, I do think we learned some things from the, from the final few games of the season, and we'll address a lot of that. But the first thing I want to address is Mike Tomlin. There are some people... Who really hate them. <laughs> they get really angry. You know, there's always people on the fan base who hate the coach or the quarterback, and they want to blame it on that. I don't know how you could look at this team and at any point blame any one person, whether it's the quarterback or the head coach. Like, like you have a bottom five offensive line, a bottom five <laughs> defensive line, even with one of the top defensive linemen, the t- edge rushers, everything like that, the worst inside linebacking core receivers, I mean, come on, dude. Like, they're talented. They're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. You can never, you can't ever go into another playoff game again feeling okay as Deontay Johnson is your number one. And I love Deontay Johnson. And I'm not saying that he won't be able to fix the drops things over the course of his career, but clearly it's not a physical thing. It's obviously a mental thing. This always happens in, in playoff games and all the extra work he does before games. Like, I got to warm up my eyes. You don't have to warm up your eyes, man. It's not how eyes work. Eyes don't get warmed up. They're just kind of there. You do have to close them at night so they can hydrate or something like that. I'm not a scientist, but. That just shows me a guy so in his head about dropping the ball. And so I'm not saying he won't develop because I, I love – obviously, he's, he's got top 10-ish receiver talent. You know, the bottom of the top 10. He can do – he can get off the line. He's one of the top route runners in the league already. He can make fantastic catches. He can catch and run. But the amount that he falls down, the amount that he drops the ball, I'm just saying you can't go into a game relying on that guy. Like I'm not—I won't even use AB. Like AB is such an outlier. Of course you can rely on AB, but Hines Ward, Mike Wallace, even Juju Smith-Schuster—you know you can rely on those guys to make some good plays in games when you go into games with them. So I just went on a total tangent from the Mike Tomlin thing, but. My point is that the team sucks. Like there's big time issues and the next two off seasons are truly going to determine what happens with the future of the Steelers. Because a lot of my friends who aren't Steelers fans want to say, oh, they're going to be okay because they're the Steelers. And there is something to that. And it's because the Roonies still run the team. So there's a common denominator there, but the giants have the worst winning percentage in the NFL over the last five years. They're awful. They were always good for decades. They were one of the premier franchises. Washington, the way we think about them now is obscene. Since the 70s, 80s, and 90s, dominant, one of the best franchises. Look at the Cowboys. They haven't, won a they haven't gotten to an a, a NFC championship game in their last 11 appearances, which is a record. Last 11 playoff appearances. They, the Cowboys can't sniff anything. That's another legend. Since the 70s, the Cowboys were good. Just because you're a a legendary franchise does not mean that you will stay that way, Um, especially when change happens and and different people take over, especially if they're family, because you don't know if that necessarily means that they earned the job or they just fell into it. Obviously, the Steelers are lucky because they have family uh, where it has worked out. But. This is an absolutely critical time for the Steelers, especially with how you address a quarterback situation and especially with a team that does not believe in tanking. Where I think if you're in the top five, every year you can do what the Jets did and take Darnold and say, okay, screw it. Let's take a different guy. You can do what the Cardinals did, get Josh Rose in the very next year. Okay, well, we have a much more attractive quarterback prospect than Kyler Murray. We got to keep him. We got to take him. I think that when you're drafting in the teens – and I'm not saying it's impossible for the Steelers to draft in the top ten or top five, but you're drafting in the teens. It's kind of hard to get rid of that commitment. So when we talk about Tomlin and that playoff loss, though, getting back to that, what are you? Are people thinking that Tomlin underachieved by not beating the Kansas City Chiefs? That's the you expected the Steelers to win that game. Like I, I'm not saying that it was impossible for them to win, but for anybody to insinuate this was some sort of choke job or like letting the Bengals score 45 or letting the Jaguars score 45, who, by the way, should have won the Super Bowl that year. So that's not even really a choke job. But I I just, the logic doesn't make sense. I get it. I know it's frustrating. The Steelers should have never been in the playoffs in the first place. We were a week ago saying, this is incredible that he took this dog crap roster to the playoffs. Furthermore, if you look at, the beginning of the Steelers-Chiefs game, it started playing out the way these upsets play out. T.J. Watt, defensive player having a career-defining game, gets two turnovers and a touchdown in the first quarter. The Chiefs go three and out multiple times. Steelers are getting off the field. The Steelers came out there with so much energy. But at the end of the day, they're not nearly as good as the Chiefs. They don't have one cornerback on their roster who can cover the third receiver for the Chiefs. So the Steelers aren't supposed to win that game. And if you look at how they came out, I mean, their offense blew it, right? But, like, you look at how they came out, and that does kind of say, wow, that's, Tomlin had their energy extremely high. So I don't – I'm not um, uh, just forgiving all of his sins, but we're about to see what the sins are or are not based on how they handle the things going forward. The chiefs game is, is not a microcosm of that to me at all. It's frustrating, but um, the chiefs are 10 times better than the Steelers and are just in a way different point in their development.
0: Okay. So to me, sincerely, there's no point in breaking down what happened or didn't happen against the chiefs. Like I just said, the chiefs are legitimately 10 times better Not only are they in a different place with their progression, but they're an all-time good NFL offense for so many reasons. All of them starting with Patrick Mahomes and his absurdity. It was really cool seeing you know Patrick Mahomes and Ben have a little moment asking for a jersey swap at the end of the game. There, it's just impossible not to like Patrick Mahomes. He's just such a good guy. He's like uh, Michael. Well, he's like Steph Curry combined with Michael Jordan combined with Aaron Rodgers or something, right? I mean, and I'm incredibly. Incredibly jealous of him and Josh Allen. Well, the fans, Mahomes and Josh Allen. But hey, we got 20 years of Ben. So that's that. So, yeah, when you're, they have one of the top defensive fronts in the NFL. And yes, before Melvin Ingram went over there, although, you know, that'll help them in the long run. There's no chance the Steelers' offensive line has against that. You know, their playoff experience, their wide receiver core is absurd. The Steelers don't have a single corner who can even cover McCall Hardman or even Byron Pringle for that matter. And their line is one of the top lines. They have the best quarterback. They have one of the best coaches. It's in Kansas City, one of the top two or three, at worst, most difficult places to play in the league. The Steelers have an offense that has been winning games by scoring 16 points in a game. It's just not going to happen. It was almost never going to happen unless they had some miracles, unless they ran some trick plays, which I guaranteed, virtually guaranteed before the game that it wouldn't happen. Not surprised that they didn't run a single freaking trick play. They get so obsessed with their way of thinking, and yes, I do think part of that is a Tomlinism. They get so obsessed with it that they just, they don't realize where the hell they are. I mean, Hellman admitted in the post-game press conference that the goal was to keep the ball out of 15's hands. So that's why they were running so much. But do they, is that really any different from any other game? The Steelers are just constantly trying to protect their offense from, doing, from making a turnover and losing the game. And that formula works for them a lot when they played a ton of injury-riddled teams or terrible teams. Like the Titans, without Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, are not an intimidating team. They're very solid. But they're not spectacular. They're not going to make any splash plays. Can anybody name a single other player on their offense outside, you know, a, a skill position player? Not gonna make any, You can outlast them. Browns in the backup version of the Ravens, even the starter version of the Ravens, same way, you can outlast some of those teams. By the way, if they get A.J. Brown, that's a top five-ish receiver, the best running back in Derrick Henry, they become a Super Bowl team. So you're winning games against crappy teams. And it worked for you, and to carry that, that, that philosophy into Kansas City, just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so, you know, like I'm saying, there's really no strategy. That's just, you're not going to trick them and dick them all the way to beating them, but you should have emptied the clip in the first quarter by taking some chances that way. But let's talk about some of the clip notes on what the Steelers need to do going forward. Uh, Let me reiterate some of the points I've made from the past few weeks that have become clearer at this point. The Steelers are in a weird position for a rebuild, and if you think about it, kind of a more favorable position than many of the Jaguars and Jets of the world because they have some cornerstone pieces. you got a Hall of Fame-looking edge rusher. You have, uh, and TJ Watt, you have another really good starting edge rusher. You have two edge rushers. Like, that's phenomenal. A lot of teams struggle getting that. You know, Alex Smith you got a phenomenal safety, and then that's it <laughs> on defense. That really is it. But you do have some hope at corner with Cam Sutton, who obviously is not an outside guy. Akilah Weatherspoon, the, the sample size is way too small, and he has played better in, in certain games on other teams only to regress. So that one I'm not counting. I'm just counting as a, hey, fingers cost, that might be something. Adams, um, you know, there's debts on the defensive line. There's just not starters. So there's a lot, there's, there's a decent amount to work with where you're not coming from zero on defense. But you need, I mean, this inside linebacker situation is a disaster. And so is the defense line, corners, like I, like I just pointed out. On offense, you got Najee and Firemose. There's also hope now that John LeGlue could be a guy, that Kevin Dotson could be a guy. Dan Moore really came along a lot as a tackle in his first year. Not ready to commit to that or not, but the, the line prospect is slightly better at, the be- at, the, at this point of the year than it was at the beginning of the season. The only sad part is you're really rolling the dice and hoping that Kendrick Green would turn into something, and you know by all accounts, it might be an Artie Burns situation. So That is a bummer. That leads me to the juju point. I've made it a couple of weeks in a row, but if anybody's new to the podcast, I I think that the Steelers definitively have to re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster. At the beginning of the year and in the offseason, and even before like last year when it was going into Juju's final year, I was pretty firm on the stance they should not re-sign Juju because Deontay Johnson has the traits to be a true number one receiver because his releases are incredible. He can't get pressed in coverage like Chase and even Juju at times can get pressed. He can work on the boundaries very well. He can win short, medium, and deep. Even though he's not a burner, he has enough speed to get deep. He has yards up to the catch. He's an amazing route runner, so on and so forth. Deontay's ceiling is too high, and then obviously Chase Claypool is like the best-looking physical specimen as far as a football player that you could possibly be. So his ceiling is incredibly high as well. And I do think his ceiling is high, and I think they're using him wrong playing him on the outside. He has no nuance to his game, and he's not as fast as as, Deontay. DK Metcalf, so he can't just be the run-straight guy. He really does look to be a slot. But their upside was too much to pass up uh, on. Now they've had a full year, and yes, it was with an old aging Ben and, and a bad offensive line or bad coordinator, but they dropped the ball literally and metaphorically way too often this year where you just know that they're high-variance guys. And Juju is the exact opposite. He is Mr. Dependable, and that's an understatement as well because I'm – I'm not saying Mr. Dependable like Jesse James. Like, whenever you throw the ball in, he's going to catch it. He's not going to get any yards after the catch, but he's reliable. No, Juju makes big plays. He mosses guys in the end zone. He trucks people. He scores 97-yard touchdowns. He does everything, but you know that the guy's going to catch the ball. You know he's going to run the routes. He's not going to have mental lapses. He blosses, and most importantly, he's a tough bastard. On the field, and he's a Steeler. So I think when you restart this regime, you want to start with tough Steelers-esque guys so you can keep that culture together. Like I was referencing early in the podcast, it's amazing that the Steelers have done that this far, but it's not guaranteed to continue. So what do you do to continue that? You make decisions like this, and it's not the same as Cam Hayward Stephon Tewitt and Javon Hargrave when they let Javon Hargrave go because Cam and Tewitt were already established Steelers, whereas Deontay and Claypool are not. And Cam and Tewitt were already paid. But there was a chance to make a decision among three really good players. And I know that people get frustrated with Deontay and Claypool, but they are really good and their potential is amazing. you got three guys with them and Juju. I think that right now the data you're working with says Juju needs to be resigned to start – The the culture with him, Firemooth, and Najee, three bruisers on offense, which could, and you know, Kevin Dawson's another guy that's like that. That would be a a good way to keep yourself in games, much the way, much like how they bite people's kneecaps off in Detroit with with a tough brand of football that way. So I think we have some clarity on some guys that need to stay. Witherspoon, Adams, LeGlue, automatic re signings. What are the feelings for those guys? I don't know, but it is nice to see a, guy, a group of guys who have five or six games under their belt, so a decent-looking sample size, where they played better and the team got better because of it. So that's a positive that comes from in-house instead of outside house. The next point I will make is in regards to the quarterback situation. If the Steelers draft the quarterback in the second or third round, anything outside of the first round, And by the way, that goes with a caveat, you can't draft a Mason Rudolph in the first round either. I mean, like an actual proper first-round graded quarterback is what you need. If you don't do that, they're screwed. I'm predicting it right now. The Steelers are utterly screwed if they try and take a quarterback in the second or third round. It never works. It never works. Oh, Tom Brady, uh, one in a billion. Russell Wilson... Drew Brees, they were taken in the second round, but there's there's an asterisk with that. They were dominant college players who got drafted when the NFL was close-minded to having short quarterbacks. So if they were an inch, maybe two inches taller, they'd be first-round guys. And even then, they went towards the top, you know, I guess, Wilson, what is he, third-rounder. But those were fantastic players who would have been drafted a lot earlier if not for this sort of close-mindedness of the NFL. The guys who are getting drafted in the second, third-round right now aren't even great quarterbacks in college. And so I don't like the idea of taking flyers on guys like that. The percentage is so low. The reason why you can name some of the guys, oh, it's Dak Prescott and Derek Carr first, them second round. The reason why you can name them is because they're so memorable because they never freaking happen. Because Mason Rudolph and Josh Dobbs are what you get. The Steelers have so many deficiencies in the trenches specifically, especially. They can't be wasting second, third, or fourth round picks on quarterbacks. They took a third and fourth-round quarterback recently in the past five years. Both of them are garbage, right? So here's what I think the Steelers need to do, and we're going to talk a lot more more about this going into the offseason. But they need to buckle in and just realize they're not going to be great next year. They can't strap themselves to a Teddy Bridgewater two-, three-year deal. I mean, you know, maybe, depending on what the money is. As long as it's flexible and you can get out of a medium or mediocre quarterback, I'm fine with you using one of those guys. If it helps the team build the culture more and not be a complete doormat, that's fine. But as long as it doesn't financially strap you. But here's what it is. Don't get desperate for the quarterback. You either got to draft them, trade up for them in the first round, or trade for one, uh, you know, like a Derek Carr situation or if, you know, God wills the Aaron Rodgers type of situation. That's what you need to do. Right now, you need to say, okay, we know the quarterback thing could be a disaster for a year. We need linemen. We need trenches. Build it up. If the trenches don't fall perfectly and you can get a speedy receiver or you can get a good cornerback who's just too good to pass up, much like Juju being too good to pass up when they drafted him, even though they were stacked at receiver at that time, sure, go for that. But overall, just accept that you're not competing for a damn Super Bowl next year and build the trenches. And if you do that for one year with the with the salary cap room they have and you re-sign your core guys like Minka, Juju, we'll see what they do with Terrell Edmonds, you're going to be in a good position. But if you get desperate and you reach on a quarterback and the Steelers haven't done a very good job developing quarterbacks or identifying that talent, they could be in real trouble and you're setting yourself back. You know, potentially years, man, and that could be hyperbolic. You know, one missed second round pick, like you'll you'll be fine. A lot of teams, all these Super Bowl teams, even the Steelers missed second round picks. But I just think that that would be demonstrative of a scary mindset or a delusional mindset a little bit. Whereas if they're patient, they could really stack the deck because they got some good guys already. The next thing they're going to have to do is find an offensive coordinator, and this is a tricky one. Obviously, we're not going to say they're finding a defensive coordinator because the defense is tied to Mike Tomlin. It is what it is. It is what it is over there. But with the offensive coordinator, it's intriguing. So I've got to review some names. We've got to do some studying, see who's available, see what types of offenses there are. But I know this. I was happy that they experimented with the Matt Canada thing, but now after Matt Canada, Bradley, or Joe Brady, excuse me, in Carolina, obviously you see Urban Meyer, you think back to Chip Kelly, the list is impossibly long in terms of guys who come from college and make the transition to NFL. It's not a recipe for NFL offensive coordinator. It is two different games. It is rocket science in the NFL. And in college, it's the reason why I can't watch college. It's just too boring. It's too simple. And uh, you, you have to take a guy who's been brought up through the system. You look at all these good Shanahan McVeigh extensions, all of those guys were brought up as position coaches and quality control guys right out of college and have just been learning the NFL game constantly. So I think that's a, that's a requirement for me. But whether it's going to be a young guy, I don't know who's out there, you know, off the top of my head. And there may not, they may not be available we like to, oh, they get a quarterback. Or they get an offensive coordinator. Man, a lot of this is just circumstantial. A lot of football's luck. How does Ben Roethlisberger go to eleven? Was because he went to the small school. You know, a lot of it is luck. They might not be available at the time when the Steelers fire the coordinators. So whether it's a young guy or maybe like a Pep Hamilton, who's a you know not a superstar coordinator, but. An amazing communicator is super well liked by everyone he coaches. He's gotten good work out of young quarterbacks multiple times. He would work incredible on Tomlin's staff. Seems like a no-brainer there in terms of guys who are like charismatic leaders who are universally liked, who can relate to any age group. That could be an intriguing fit that way, but. Once again, it just depends on what they do. I mean, they drafted Najee Harris in the first round. They really need to prioritize getting another running back because when you draft Najee, it's saying, hey, we want to be a running team. And if you want to be a running team, you needed D'Angelo Williams to back up Le'Veon Bell and pick up right where he left off if he gets hurt or when he gets hurt. Like, let's hope that it's not for a long time, but Najee isn't going to go four years and play every single game, you know? I mean, we even saw how ineffective he was dealing with this injury versus the Chiefs. So... The offensive coordinator thing is very interesting. How they handle their deciding of the offensive coordinator and the quarterback is going to tell us a lot about the future. And I'm not even saying they'll fire Matt Canada because it's very un like to give a guy only one year. But it would be disappointing if they didn't modernize in that way because Matt Canada, it's brutal. I mean, you can call every play before it happens. And I know that some of that is philosophically Mike Tomlin. As well, he's the damn head coach. He can make decisions like that. But you can't bring the guy back. You can, you can predict every play call they possibly have. He's got a million terrible ways to throw the ball short and no ways to throw the ball intermediate and long. And I refuse to admit that in 18 freaking games that it's just been pleading with them not to throw the ball downfield at all especially when he lets it loose at the end of these games in garbage time and they're throwing posts and people are getting balls completed. I mean, Matt Canada can't come back, but we'll see what they do there. So it's going to be an interesting off season in Pittsburgh. I hope they view this as a two year thing. I think the Steelers have enough star players in place who match the tenor and the vibe of the team and of the city and of the tradition to be able to properly move forward with, with a really good starting space. They also have a little bit of money that they can work with to sign some veterans who can help to bolster that. I hope they look at this as a two-year build project. We are going to learn so much about what the future of the Steelers is going to look like in the coming months, and I'm really excited to see it. The rest of the playoffs should be amazing just as an NFL fan. I mean, the best teams all won. The a- the AFC is insane with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I mean that is just a sad reality that us Steelers fans are gonna have to face. But Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Mahomes, these guys knocking each other out. Derek Henry and AJ Brown coming back for the Titans, and you got Rodgers and Brady and the NFC. It's it's a really cool playoffs, a cooler one than I can remember in a long time on account of how wide open it is, as everybody's talked about ad nauseam. So I'll have fun watching the rest of the playoffs, but I'm just desperate to see what the Steelers do in the offseason so we can move bravely forward towards Gardner Minshew, which is what I want. We need Gardner Minshew. Make it happen. Give us the new second coming of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Give us the mustache. Give us the mullet. We want to see somebody throwing some bombs downfield. And then I'll be happy in the meantime. But the Steelers have a lot to work with. They have a lot to be proud of in this season. Really, if you can zoom out and you look at the last three seasons in a row, they've been incredibly impressive that the Steelers have overachieved. And I think what clouds people's minds from realizing the Steelers have overachieved is the fact that they have some real star players at the top of the roster. So it makes you feel like the team is better than they are. But they lost a crap load of guys on defense, especially from last year. They lost a the whole lot from of the line, from last year. And that's a lot of transition to deal with and to make the playoffs, whether it's against backup quarterbacks or not. Look, other teams play a lot of backup quarterbacks and stuff too. It, that's an accomplishment. And it just shows the tradition of the Steelers is still alive. And now the next few months and few years are going to be about making sure the the fires burn bright and the embers don't burn out. So uh, we're going to be doing a lot of cool new stuff over the off season. We're going to return to Sunday for our taping of the podcast so Dad and I will be able to do it on actual high quality microphones. He'll be able to take place on a lot more of them. We are going to have more guests again this offseason friends and some other podcast hosts and just keep stepping it up try and give you guys more fun stuff to listen to now that our community has kind of broadened on Twitter and in the real world that way. So give us a follow on Twitter at Stu's Outpost. Email us Steelers at gmail.com. Until next week, go Steelers. Bye-bye. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com.